0: Get started at Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.
1: G'day mates, it's BBuster Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. But thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. I, a female, was 15 at the time, grade 10 in sophomore in high school. I grew up in a small farming town, population at the time was 1,400, in Washington State, USA. I met Ricky, a male in shop class, where we flirted daily. I was the only girl in the class and assumed that that was why I was flirting with me. I also assumed that he was 16 since he was in my grade but had his license when he was actually 19. In school I was popular in that I was friends with just about everyone but Ricky was very handsome and very popular for actually being cool so I was super excited that he paid attention to me and even started flirting with me even though like I said I figured it was because I was the only girl in class. I'll admit that I led him on in a big way. I figured nothing would ever happen between he and I since he was really good looking and popular and had beautiful girls just throwing themselves at him in the hallways and other classes. So the flirting had become more and more sexual with us talking about actually having sex even though I actually had no intention and thought it was never going to happen anymore. The shop class had a regular classroom in the high school where we took attendance and tests and then the shop itself was located about a hundred yards away from the main building i'd say the high school parking lot was on the opposite side of the high school building from the shop class our school had open campus as well meaning that students could leave campus during lunch if they had the signed form filled in with the office so in late spring of that year 1997 Ricky and I were flirting one day when he suggested we actually go through with it. He suggested that we leave right after that class during lunch and head to his house. I don't know why I agreed other than realizing that I had talked and talked about it for weeks and couldn't admit that I'd been lying the whole time. So after class he and I left the shop and we walked around the back of the school to the parking lot, we got in his nice truck and we drove away from the school. I was freaking out internally because, one, my friends were expecting me to leave campus with them and were waiting by my locker, and two, uh, was I really about to have sex for the first time with one of the hottest guys in school? We drove through town and went to his house about a half a mile from campus. We went inside, and as soon as the door closed, he started kissing me. To this day, this first kiss is one of the best I've ever had, I couldn't completely appreciate it at the time because, well, I was still freaking out. We made our way to his bed and continued kissing for 45 minutes while he kept trying to get me to go further with him. He had stripped down to his boxes but I still had everything on including shoes and jackets. He wasn't pushy or anything but just trying to go with what we had discussed for weeks. After 45 minutes I said that I just wanted to go back to school. He sighed, put his clothes back on and then we left. We drove to the school in silence and when we got to the parking lot he asked if I was okay. I said yes and got out and I walked quickly inside. Out of my peripheral vision I saw his truck leaving the parking lot. Lunch was still going on so I went to my locker, grabbed my books for my next class and I went in the classroom to read until class started. Shortly before class started, two of my friends that I was supposed to meet for lunch came in and they asked if I was okay and where I had gone. I said that I was fine and didn't want to talk about it. One of the girls then left to go to her class but the other girl, Allie, was in the class with me so she stayed. About halfway through the class I just decided to tell Allie about what had happened and made her promise not to tell anyone. She was concerned, obviously, and made sure that I realized that I'd put myself in a dangerous situation, and no one knew where I was or even with whom. To be honest, I hadn't even thought about that until she pointed it out. The next few days, Ricky went to school but skipped shop class. I was fine with this too because I didn't really want to see him, mostly because I was just embarrassed. But Ricky started coming to class again and tried talking to me, but I was quite rude. For about a week in fact, shop class consisted of him trying to talk to me, me ignoring him, him sighing and then just walking away. After that I was much more civil but never went back to flirting. He started approaching me between classes and even during lunch, just being friendly and lightly flirting but I never returned the flirting again random groups of girls started approaching me and asking what was going on between Ricky and I, why did he like me and why was he ignoring them, etc. And I just didn't really have any answers. The second to last week of school, Ricky hung around me often but was really quiet. And then he told me that I was the first girl to ever turn him down. During the last week of school he went back to hanging out with his friends and flirting with the pretty girls and I was quite relieved mostly because I felt guilty for leading him on like that and also guilty for putting myself in that situation. About midway through the summer holiday I actually ran into Allie and she asked if I had heard about Ricky and I told her that no I hadn't and she said that Ricky was on the run from the police for the attempted murders of two men. She said that she heard that it was a drug deal gone bad. I was shocked and I let my imagination go wild with thoughts of what if. I mean, I assumed that if he was willing to murder two men, what would have stopped him from raping or even murdering me? A year later, one of the men died from complications from his wounds, so the charges were actually changed to one charge of attempted murder and one charge of murder in the first degree. I later found out that it wasn't actually a drug deal gone bad, but was actually a failed cartel hit. I have more info on that, and why I don't believe Ricky would have actually harmed me, or pretty much anyone, if it hadn't have been for his dad's employer, but this story's pretty long, so I'll finish it here. I don't really know what happened to Ricky, and I heard that he fled to California, and then possibly to Mexico. But one thing I do know is that he was never caught by the police. I firmly believe that there are many unexplainable things in this world. You know, the things we have hard times discussing with others about because you don't want to be labeled as crazy, but you know that they're there all the same. My dad's house, I believe, contains such an entity. There really isn't one big story to tell but rather a bunch of small ones that combine into something really hard to write off as just sheer coincidence. Most of these are told from my dad's perspective although I was able to experience one for myself. So I was spending the night at dad's house one time and we were all in the living room just watching tv. My little sister was on the couch with my dad and my stepmom and I was sitting in the recliner with one of my dogs. The other dog was laying in front of the couch in between the couch and the recliner was an end table and sitting on the table was a glass box that my stepmom got from her mom we were paying it no mind when suddenly we just heard a crash we weren't expecting it so we all jumped and the glass box on the table had fallen off the back side of the table and had broken now, the glass box had been sitting a good distance away from the edge, so it couldn't have fallen off on its own. No one was close enough to bump the table, and it was honestly like someone just lightly pushed the box off the edge, like kind of what a cat would do or something. Well, we investigated for several minutes before chalking it up to just another one of those incidences. My dad was standing in the middle of the living room watching the TV, and it was in the middle of the day at this point, and he was the only one home. When suddenly, from the direction of his and my stepmom's bedroom, he heard a loud and deep ha ha, and his first thought was that someone had actually broken into his house, so he ran in there, ready to beat the daylights out of the intruder, only to find an empty room. He looked around for a while, and he never found anyone in there, and it was a weird one. Another time, my dad was in the living room again. It was just him and the dogs and he got up to grab the remote and he made a comment. You know the kind that you make when you think out loud. Well, then he heard someone hiss silence in his ear. And my dad, the king of underreactions, simply grabbed the remote and on his way back to the chair said, How about you shut the fuck up? And he didn't hear anything else the rest of the day. One night, my dad and my stepmom had just gotten into bed I mean that they had just pulled the sheets over them, and the door that leads to the bathroom shook. I'm not talking about some sort of mild shaking that may come with an old house. I mean it was like someone took hold of the door itself and was violently trying to shake it off its hinges. Needless to say, my stepmom was glad that my dad wasn't working nights that night. Along with these things, there are some shadow people sightings made by both my dad and my little sister as well. One time, the middle of the day again, my dad was in the kitchen watching one of his football shows. Something compelled him to look toward the entrance of the kitchen and he says that he saw shadowy disembodied feet walk across the entrance. My dad, once again, the king of underreactions, looked out the kitchen and when he saw nothing, he just shrugged his shoulders and went back to his football. This sighting is something that both my dad and little sister swore up and down to that they both saw. On the right back corner of the living room, there's a very short hallway with three doors and a door to the bathroom, a door to my room, and a door that used to be my sister's room but is now used for storage. The two bedroom doors are on the right side with the bathroom door right in front of them. You can actually see the bedroom rooms from the living room and they said that they saw a shadow figure leave the bathroom and head into the storage room. That being said, the storage room seems to be where this thing dwells when it isn't bothering my family. It's to the point that my sister refuses to ever even go near that room again and even just walking past it is enough to cause your hairs to stand on end. I could go on for hours about all the little things that happen but I'm going to stop here for now. If any of you guys have any idea of what we're dealing with, I would love to know. This happened years ago but still haunts me to this day back when i was in middle school i lived next door to a small neighborhood all i had to do was hop the fence and i'd be in the neighborhood where all my friends lived we were all between the ages of 12 to 13 and there were five of us One of the houses we were always at had a backyard in the edge of the woods and we had created trails throughout it... ...complete with bridges over the creek that led to a reservoir of sorts where all the rainwater went... ...as well as the water that drained from the sewers. I say sewers but it's just runoff from the streets and we used the tunnels under the road during intense games of manhunt. Anyway, we called the place The Wall. The wall backed up quite literally to a house in the neighborhood and the next street over and we could clearly see houses through the trees in any direction that we looked, so it's not like we were ever really far. Besides the trail that we took as well, there was a main exit along the fence to that house I've mentioned that led straight into the heart of the neighborhood. Now, the wall was right by the next street over. On our side, where the wall sat, there were three houses. In one of those houses lived a well-known police officer whose kids we were friends with. The opposite side had one massive farmland to the left and a heavily wooded area to the right, complete with its own empty boarded up creepy house that couldn't be seen from the road unless it was winter. No one had lived there or even been there for years at this point. So, like I said, and I'm trying to paint a picture here so you can understand, we were very, very close to other homes, which makes this story just an odd one. One day, my friend and I, just the two of us girls, decided to go to the walk. And taking the familiar trails through the woods, we made it to the wall. Weeks prior to this, the group of us had been trying to make a bridge so that we can continue our work. Between picking up branches and heavy stones, we noticed something coming from the woods across the street. It was a, a man, and this man was dressed head to toe in camouflage. Typical hunting gear that I've seen before, but the weird thing was that he had a shotgun in his hand in a residential area. Luckily we noticed him before he did us and I'm so glad that we did because when he noticed us, his eyes locked on both of us and his pace began to quicken and he made a beeline straight at us. He never said a word or even lowered his weapon, it was just in his hands ready at any given moment, but we snap out of it and we take the exit sprinting into the heart of the neighborhood, running straight to my friend's house to tell somebody. We tell her dad immediately and he goes to check it out Only to find no one there, not even a trace. I don't know where or how that man was out of sight so quickly but her dad wasted no time and was down there in seconds. The wooded area where the man came from was not large by any means, at least not large enough to ever consider hunting on and it definitely was not hunting land or anything. It's an extremely residential area along with an elementary school that we used to walk to in less than five minutes. I mean, no lie, the school was right there. So I just never understood why the man was out there in the first place, especially since there was a cop who lived right next door to where we were.
2: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs
0: Get started at Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.
1: So, uh, I'm a mail carrier, and I know, I know, super interesting, right? Honestly, though, you'd be surprised at the amount of weird stuff that happens to us. I've had people follow me while I'm delivering and try to get into my delivery vehicle to steal stuff. I've had a customer vomit on my car after she opened a parcel her husband sent her that was supposed to go to his mistress. I've delivered dildos that fell out of their flimsy packaging, dragon dildos no less as well, I've seen people having sex near my more secluded boxes and they didn't stop for me, and this is the kind of stuff that typically happens to us contract carriers. For those of you who don't know, contract carriers are mail carriers who buy a contract for a mail route that is typically in a rural area that, from what I understand, the fancy mail jeeps cannot traverse so we use our own vehicles to deliver the mail and we're paid monthly based on what type of route, how long the route takes on a day-to-day basis and what the post office deems as fair. Technically, we're self-employed but still have to abide by the rules of the post office and we still have to become certified to even touch the mail. But of course, being in the areas that we're in most of the time, that kind of weird stuff I mentioned above happens all the time. Those things happened to me when I was a sub as someone who works for a contract holder but does not own the route in any way, I was basically paid by the person who owns the route out of their own pockets. But now, however, I'm the somewhat disgruntled owner of a 10-year route contract for the first time. I've owned the contract for about uh, 7 months now, I think, and it's a pretty easy gig. The route itself takes about 2.5 hours to case, sort the email for delivery, and another good 3-4 to four hours to deliver on a good day, 5-6 to six on a super heavy day. I'm really not looking forward to how the holidays fare on this route as well. But anyway, the thing is is that before I got the contract, I had no idea what I was bidding on. The way someone gets a contract is that they bid for it. The person bidding will give a monthly salary amount that they feel would be a fairish thing for the route in question. The post office and the bid holders then decide which amount is the most accurate, in their oh-so-wise opinion, for the route. and They give it to whoever has that amount and I was lucky enough to get it, and so I get a pretty damn good pay that I technically chose for myself. All I knew of the route though was that it went down into this valley. I live in a very small desert city with some very wide outlying mini communities. These outlying areas are where the majority of our office's contract routes deliver to. My route goes 25 miles out of town to a lot of small ranching properties in the closer areas and to some well pretty scattered random loner properties in the farthest areas. There are a lot of hills and dirt roads where I go and it's very easy to get lost out there if you don't know where you're going. There's one area in particular though that goes through a small forest nestled between a random outcropping of hills heading out onto the state highway. It's not like um, an evergreen forest or anything, that's just the closest definition I can get. They're not really trees so much as just kind of gigantic bushes that nestle together very closely on either side of the road. That is towards the end of the route though, but it takes up a good chunk of my customers' addresses. So, when I was training, my previous owner of the route, I'll call him Jim, gave me a rundown of the people who live on the routes. There are a lot of ranch owners of course, and they're the ones who get the most parcels. This isn't really that surprising to me since they're the richest people out there. And we of course call that section the ranches. There are the elderly retirees that live at a tiny retirement community set up by the city just outside there. It's pretty spread out like a teeny little town sort of of their own. And that's the area where the second most amount of parcels. Lots of random buying and sometimes gifts from relatives and whatnot. And we call that area the retirement homes. These are the customers that I talk to the most, they're the outskirters as Jim called them. And These are the people who live so far off the grid that most of the time we don't really deliver packages to them. As a general rule we're not allowed to deliver boxes to a house if it's more than 3 miles from the mailbox. Most of them live about 5 or 6 miles from the boxes, their boxes are in long lines or clusters as we call them on the side of the road. As a courtesy to these customers though, I ask them to give me their phone number so I can call them if they have a parcel and they meet me at the box. Most of them don't mind and I'm grateful to them because a lot of those roads are pretty treacherous. I once tried to be nice and deliver a box to one of them and I actually got stuck, unable to move my car for almost four hours as I lost service. Eventually they found me and that's when they gave me their number at last and they don't get many boxes though in that part of that route but then there's what Jim called the ghost town it's not really a town per se but more of the secluded homes like the previous area but these guys are closer to the road and they're the ones who live in the forest that I mentioned above he called it the ghost town for a good reason as well because these people are either never home as most of them are snowbirds or the ones who are are really creepy there's a few homes out there that are usually vacant, more snowbirds that just have a lot going on. For the stories I'm about to tell you, there are three homes involved. Two of them are in the ghost town, and the other one takes place in the outskirts area. But that last one is by far the worst, so I'll leave that to the end. There's more, obviously, but these are by far the most interesting as far as history and the stuff that's happened. I'm telling them in order of intensity, so stick with me. I'll give each house a name here as well, since I pretty much do at work anyway. It's kind of how I remember their addresses without really having to think about it. Real names have obviously been changed for customers' privacy, though. So, the Bailey Cluster is a grouping of homes in the ghost town that belongs to a single family with the name of Bailey. The mailboxes are all nestled together on the side of the road against some of those large bushes in the forest that I mentioned. Just before the mailboxes, there are four total, is a small dirt road that leads up to their property. The whole road has to be about four feet across, I'd say. That's how it feels anyway, because when you're driving up, the bushes on either side will scrape the side of my car. I've gotten more than a few scratches because of them as well. I've asked them to trim them down, but they just never do. So in the end, I just gave up when you get to the property though you're met with this large six foot tall rusted iron gate with the name bailey fashioned out of bent horseshoes and pipes kind of welded to the top of it as a general rule if a gate is shut we are never encouraged to try and open it to drive in as well we aren't really supposed to walk in if it's shut either unless the customer has told us that it's okay for the baileys i get out i walk their parcels through the gate and up to the first house which isn't far from the gate Now, I have to state that I've never once met these people in person. I've spoken to them on the phone and I've been on their property, but I have never once seen hide nor hair of any one of them. There are a total of 10 people at the address and their mail is split up as their homes are in like a a trailer park of sorts. For example, one of them gets their mail at one ghost town road, another one gets it at state 8, and the other will get it at mobile 2 or 3 or 4. There are four people in one and two, and one person in three, and the others are all in four. Every time I bring them a parcel as well, I always just leave it at the first house. Once you walk through their gate as well, you have to walk up a a bit of a hill. You can see the total green roof of the first house peeking up over the hill as you walk as well, and when you get closer, it becomes apparent very quickly why the place is just so unsettling. Clown these people they love clowns there are clown statues paintings mobiles wind chimes I mean you name it it's just clown face everywhere they even have clown dolls scattered around the place and none of them look nice they're all kind of threadbare and worn out from sitting in the hot desert sun all the time and I'm pretty sure animals have made homes in some of them as well There are actually a few that are even big enough to house a small family of squirrels. Now, I know that this isn't paranormal or even all that creepy, but you have to admit that it's more than a little lot, right? The first house is a simple single wide mobile with a bright teal green painted roof, and the windows all have clown decals in them. Little clown faces that honestly look like they're straight out of a vintage coloring book, hand colored and everything. At one end of the place is the porch. It's not too big, just about six or seven feet, but there's a small awning with dozens of clown wind chimes and sun catchers hanging from it, almost making a curtain out of them they're so clustered together. On the porch is a rocking chair and this thing is painted like a clown. The curved rockers are painted red, the legs that attach them to the chair are yellow with red polka dots the seat and arms are white, and the back is white, with three big red dots painted on it, like puffballs and a clown shirt. The top part of the back has a clown face on it, and you put it all together, and I'm telling you, it's a nightmare. The reason why I mention this chair as well is because it's where I'm asked to leave the parcels, and I always do, but I'll never forget the first time that I left them there. There were four boxes for them and one for one and the rest for three and I called ahead of time to let them know that I'd be out there in about three hours since they're towards the end of the route. It takes longer to get to them in other words. I'm always told as well by who I assume is their matriarch or something to leave them all on that damn chair. I've never been up to their property at this point and I'd been delivering about a month but only ever had mail and small parcels that fit in the box for them so when I went up there for the first time, seeing their little clown cluster was a bit nerve-wracking for sure. I mean, I'm terrified of clowns and I have been since I was a kid, but that's a story for another time as to why. But I crept up to that first house and I peered around the place. It's so isolated and odd that I felt like every single clown around me was just watching me. I placed the boxes on the chair in a neat little pile and I settled the chair to stop it from rocking so the boxes wouldn't fall off. Once it was still I turned and I hastily tried to leave, but it was the creaking that stopped me. I froze and I listened, knowing full well what it was. I turned and sure as shit, that chair was rocking, and not just a little bit but enough to knock one of the boxes onto the porch. It was honestly like someone had deliberately pulled it all the way back and thrust it forward to rock as violently as possible. You can bet your bottom dollar that I didn't hesitate one bit. I just ran and I noped the hell out of there and I was not staying after that. Another time I had a parcel for them, I almost wrote it up out of protest, but I called and again was asked to leave it on the chair. And this is the time that I noticed that it felt like no one was actually there what I mean is that I'd been there a dozen times by then and I remember standing at the top of the hill by the gate just peering around me like where is everyone according to their mail there should be at least a few children that live there and when I was there that day it was the middle of summer and why weren't the kids home playing outside or something and why didn't I ever see anyone there the second and the third houses that are a bit far away from the first house. It'd be about a five minute walk I think to get to them but you can see them pretty well. And the curtains are always open. But I just never see anyone inside. The fourth house is the farthest away at the top of a small hill and they have a big picture window facing the gate. It too always has the curtains open but again I just never see anyone there. But the weirdest of all, definitely, is that their vehicles are just always there, but they never move. There are two trucks, an SUV, all relatively newish as well. Oldest, I think, was a 2012 model and an old station wagon. And the wagon looks pretty run down, but the others look like they've been pretty much taken care of. Always clean, at least. But anyway... At this other time I am at a parcel and I noticed no one is ever around and so I got curious and I phoned the woman I always do when bringing parcels. I'd figured that I'd just tell her that I was making sure someone would be back soon to get the parcel as there's a lot of theft out there. But this isn't a lie as well because there usually is on more secluded routes. You'd actually probably be pretty surprised at just how much more common it is out there than in the city. I heard a phone ringing in the first house beside me. If I'm on the porch I can peek into the window just behind the evil rocking chair and it was close. The phone that was ringing I mean. And I wanted to see someone pick it up so I squeezed myself between the chair and looked in. I'd never looked inside before. More clowns of course and some clown themed throws on the couch and the pillows too. And on a side table clearly visible from the window I could see the cell phone lit up with mail lady on the caller ID no one ever answered but but when i left she called me back and i'd been gone for about a good 5 minutes i'd say when she did i just told her that i wanted to be sure that someone was home and she said that someone is always here according to jim though he never saw anyone there either the third and the final most interesting thing to ever happen at the bailey cluster was just last month actually I got a very large box for them, one I needed a dolly for in fact and I called before I left the post office to let them know and the lady I always speak to told me that she would have her older son help me. I thought to myself, finally I'll get to meet one of them. This ought to be good, right? Well, I get there and it's my last package and then I was free to breeze through the final 50 or so boxes I have after them. I have a total of about 670 boxes on my route by the way. and. I go to the back, pull out the dolly, slide the box out onto it and start dragging it up to the gate. I look around and there's no one to meet me of course. The lady told me though that he'd be waiting for me on the porch of the first house and when he saw me he'd come down to help. You can see the gate from the porch pretty well but I can never really see my car from it. So I honked just in case he couldn't see me either but no one came down. I waited for about five minutes before saying, screw it, I'm just gonna take it up. And boy, did I struggle up that hill with it. I don't know what was in that box, but I'm pretty sure it weighed at least 75 pounds. The post office has a 70-pound weight limit that a lot of companies try to stretch up to about 75 to 80. Usually they go to UPS, but sometimes they slip through the cracks and they come to us. But anyway, I get to the first house and of course there's nobody there. I look around and as usual I'm alone with a bunch of clown dolls just gaping at me. I wiggle the box up on the stairs on the dolly and I lean it against the railing next to the rocking chair. It's way too big to sit on it and so I just head down to my car. And that was when I hear thank you from behind me. It's a man's voice and I assumed it was the son who was supposed to help me. I quickly run back up the hill and not only is there no one there but that box is gone from the porch. This was in the span of about 10 seconds as well and I wasn't even down the hill all the way. It doesn't take that long to walk back down but I looked in the window and everything and I just didn't see a soul. I really do hate going to the Bailey cluster and I end up going there a lot these days. So. The second house, this place is the one that gives me the most creeps. While I was training too, Jim told me about this place. This is another snowbird place where the people only live there between October and March. They were there when I started and they actually came back at the beginning of this month. Super nice people as well and I actually really like them but I don't have a clue as to why they live there. Jim told me that back in the early 90s when he first started working at the post office... The guy who used to do the route before him told him the story. According to him, there was a family of five that lived there, and all of them were absolutely crazy. The mum had schizophrenia and would apparently abuse the kids because of the voices. The father was no better. He was a worthless drunk who just sat by while his crazy wife heard the kids. And one night, the eldest child, who was 18 and finally fed up with how they were raised, tried to escape with his siblings. But the mother, of course, tried to stop them, and the kid just finally snapped. And he murdered his parents and painted the walls with their blood. The incident changed him, and while his siblings escaped, he apparently stayed in the house with his parents' corpses until he ended up slitting his own throat and tried painting the floor with his own blood before succumbing to blood loss and dying himself. And they weren't found for months. The place was eventually cleared out and torn down and rebuilt and the guy who built the new house was compelled to paint the house red. It's not obnoxiously red or anything but it's just too red if that makes sense. There's no long driveway up to this place, it sits right on the road at the end of the ghost town. The end is literally just a dead end road and they're right there at the tail end of it where signs tell you to just turn around. The current owners, we'll call them Mr and Mrs Nice, Because they're nice and I'm not all that creative at the moment. They've told me countless horror stories about living there though. And to be honest with you guys. I sometimes think that they get some sort of a a sick thrill out of it or something. When they're not there though I just forward everything. But I have to pass their house to get to the turnaround spot. And the neighbours always have mail. So I go by them pretty much no matter what. And let me tell you that I've seen some just really weird shit out there. But every time I pass the bloodhouse I just get this awful feeling of dread. What I mean by this is that whenever I did delivery packages to them I'd step out of the car and just standing at the edge of the driveway honestly feels like standing at the precipice of a cliff. I feel like stepping onto their property is like jumping off to my death or something. It's terribly unsettling and I honestly don't know how they stay there for as long as they do. I mean they live there for six months out of the year so I guess for them it might not be too bad but if I feel that way just delivering packages once in a while I don't know it just doesn't make much sense to me. But anyway Mrs. Nice told me one day to always watch the third window from the left Because apparently, that's where the son who went mad likes to sit. She calls him Tommy, even though that wasn't his real name. She feels it suits him though, and she talks about him like he's her own son or something. I think that she pities him, and she believes his soul is trapped there because of all the horrible things that happened to him. When she first told me, my reaction was just, no thanks. But one day, the temptation just got the best of me, and I looked... When you're at the mailbox you can see into all their windows and the house is a long one-story place with six windows, three on either side of the small front door. Of course the house is red like I mentioned but the trim and the door are all white and the window in question is the one that sits right next to the front door on the left. Mrs. Nice told me that that's the front guest room and so I looked and I could barely believe my eyes because... I didn't see a full-bodied apparition or anything like that but I definitely saw a face and it looked just so anguished like you know the happy and the sad mask that you see for drama and theater it looked like the sad mask just paint. but I blinked and the face was suddenly gone and the curtain which was open was now closed. Another time, I actually walked up to the house to put a package by the door. The nicest went home that day. Their truck was gone, so I decided that I would put the package around the back and leave a note in their box to let them know since I didn't have a number for them at the time. When I walked around the back, I put the package over the small fence into their backyard. Once I did, I turned and I felt myself just run into someone. But there wasn't anything in front of me nothing but air that is but I swear that I felt something was in front of me I didn't want to move forward it was like an invisible wall had just been erected before me and while I couldn't see it I knew that if I went any further that I was probably going to get hurt it just felt really oppressive and strange and I actually backed up into the house and slid along the wall all the way to the front and whatever invisible force was there, I felt like it followed me. And I'm ashamed to admit it, but I actually began to cry because I felt like there was a person just pressing up against me as I was moving. Like they were trying to force me back. Once I hit the edge of the house too, I, I just bolted and I ran to my car and I just sped away. I cried most of the way back as well because it was just so, I don't know what else to say, but terrifying. When I told Mrs. Nice about it the next time I saw her too, she said that Tommy likes to do that. He tries to intimidate people and he does it to Mr. Nice all the time apparently. Around the third week too, after the Nices left for their summer home, I passed the house and I swear that I saw someone standing at the mailbox, but it just wasn't solid if that's the right word. It was like a a blurred outline of a person when I got closer and as I passed... The head seemed to turn with me as I drove by, just sort of watching me. I don't like passing that house, and I'm glad they're back for the winter because it makes me feel a bit more at ease to know that they're there. But I still don't like the idea of delivering packages to them at all. I do not want to be anywhere near Tommy. But now for the last one, which, of course, I saved the worst for last. So the third house I call the Hills Have Eyes house, and I hate this house. This is the one that isn't in the ghost town, this is in the section before it, the outskirts. These are the homes that are so scattered that we usually don't bring parcels out for them because they're just so far away, but this house is an exception because it's less than a mile from the cluster of boxes that they get their mail in. And these people are never home from what I can understand. Jim told me to never call them too, because they're apparently very rude and very hostile. He instructed me to just go to their gate if they have a parcel, always bring the mail with it or they'll call and complain. Leave the parcel in the basket that hangs on their fence with their mail and a rubber band and then just turn around and leave. He said to never linger there as well, and he told me that if I did, they would definitely get hostile. And so, I just do as I'm told, but thankfully, they've almost never been home while I've been there. But I'll tell you right now that there's something there, and I know that sounds so cheesy, but it's true. I don't know the history of the place itself, but just that these people are apparently the world's biggest pricks, Two men live there or something, brothers from one gym has told me. They run a small chicken farm and bring their eggs to the feed store in town to sell them at the time. It's not uncommon to see their chickens roaming around on the road leading up to the house. The road itself is barely a road if I'm being honest. It's more like a bumpy little walking trail but it's the only way to get there and I know I've said it already but man, I hate going I call it the Hills Have Eyes house because it's settled between two large hills and from far away, the hills look like eyes and the house honestly looks like a mouth. That and the way this place looks, it looks like something just out of the movie, The Hills Have Eyes. There's uh, butchering equipment everywhere, bloody knives and cleavers and chains and hooks and they've got cows too but I think they keep the meat for themselves. The smell is just atrocious too and... It always just smells like death. It wouldn't shock me at all too if these guys committed murder out there and only butchered cows when they did it to make excuses for the stench of death because it's that bad. And every single time I go out there, something always happens. I've been out there six times to deliver parcels, so I'll recount each incident. So the first time I was out there was about three months after I started delivery. I did as I was told and I wrapped the mail in a rubber band and I headed out to the house. It takes a good three or four minutes for me to get there. It's around a bend and then that's when you see the other two hills that the house sits between. The main house has a fence around it with a gate but the whole property has an outer fence with no gate that you can go through. But once you're up against the gate, the whole place just looks smaller than it actually is because it's just full of junk. It's full of the butchering stuff and random metal sculptures and a bunch of worn out furniture, garbage, a few skulls here and there and then the house itself. The house is just a small trailer that's been cemented into the ground so it's no longer mobile. A makeshift ramp or a porch thing sits against the door and leads to a side gate and this is where the basket for the packages is. All around this gated area are coops and other fenced areas for the animals as well, and it's smelly and weird and just creepy around there. So I just tossed the box and the mail into the basket and I turn to leave. And after seeing this place for the first time, I definitely did not want to stay at all. When I got to my car, I looked in my rearview mirror though, and I swear that I saw a man standing behind my car. But when I perked my head out to ask him to move there was nobody there. And of course, after that, I didn't stay for one more second. The second incident was much closer to the evening. It was another super heavy day and I did not want to go out there. But as I was approaching, I saw someone standing at the window of the house. I assumed that it was one of them trying to see who was coming. I have car magnets in my car that all say USPS on them so people know who I am. I figured that he'd seen them and be more at ease knowing a package was coming and not some random weirdo. But as I approached, the figure in the window seemed to kind of distort and just eventually vanish entirely. When I saw this, I did not want to get out of the car. I just wanted to stay there and toss the parcel and the mail at the window. After working up the courage though, I sped from the car to the basket and back and I went to leave. As I was getting into the car, I heard this really loud laughter and it sounded like it was right next to my car. Like someone was standing beside me and just went, ha ha. And after that, I prayed that I wouldn't have to come back for a while. But two months later, I had to go back with four big boxes for them. This time it was a pretty light day and I was breezing through delivery pretty quickly so I was happy about that. They're about in the middle of the route so they're like a halfway point to me and I went to the house and was greeted by a large bull in the yard. I'm not usually nervous around animals but a bull isn't someone you want to mess around with, right? He was standing just a few feet away from the fence with the basket, so I just patiently waited to see if he'd move. I didn't want to honk lest the angry bastards who live there just happen to be home and come out to yell at me or something. I didn't want to shoo him because honestly I didn't think it would work. When all of a sudden, this bull moos and freaks the hell out, thrashing about like someone was riding him. He came dangerously close to my car as well before running off into the area where the fences are. And then a whole chorus of moos erupted from that area and it was just a cacophony of noise. I grabbed the boxes and I got them to the fence as fast as I could. I didn't know what spooked the bull and I didn't care, I just wanted to leave. I didn't see anything this time but I was afraid of the bull coming back and tearing up my car or even goring me in the process. Now the fourth incident is honestly not the worst but still pretty unsettling. So I never had a package so small that it actually fit in a box for them and honestly I almost said screw it and just shoved it in the mailbox. I should have but I didn't want them to call and complain. They hadn't complained on me so far so I wanted to keep it that way. So I reluctantly headed to the house again with the package and their mail, and when I got there, there was a single dead chicken hanging from the awning above the porch. It was weird, but given this place's track record, it honestly wasn't that surprising. And definitely not as surprising as the giant dressed cow hanging from the pole on the other side of the yard. I didn't notice that until I was putting the package in the basket. It was obscured by a tree when driving up the place, and as I'm walking back to the car, the chicken and the cow both started to just suddenly swing. Now, it's not windy, and even if it was, one of these things is a cow. I didn't think a light breeze was going to push a cow, but they're swinging back and forth almost in tandem, and at this point, I just said nope, and I left because I wasn't about to stay for the rest of that show. The fifth time was two weeks ago and it had been quiet for a while since I was out there and I had vainly hoped that I wouldn't have to go back for longer but I will. The holidays are starting and everyone's getting their stuff so it makes sense. So I get out there with three boxes and for the first time I see a living breathing person in the window. Jim told me that one of the brothers was in a wheelchair. This was apparently that brother. He was bold with my weird tribal tattoo across where I believe his hairline used to be. Just sitting in the window just staring at me. I waved out of courtesy and of course he didn't wave back. The first time either of us had ever laid eyes on one another but I don't know what I expected him to do. Maybe smile back and wave or something but I guess I know damn well that these guys are pretty much dicks. I noticed as I put the parcel in the basket though that He wasn't looking at me, but something behind me. And I looked and I saw someone walk up behind one of the chicken coops. I looked back at the brother in the window and he gave me a sort of grumpy, uh, you saw that right kind of look and nodded toward the coop. I just kind of slowly nodded and went back to the car and he watched me back out. And as I was turning back onto the road, I saw him leave the window and draw the curtain closed. The last time was actually yesterday and thus far it's definitely the freakiest thing next to the bull. So I was having a typical holiday season Monday, very heavy day with lots of mail and lots of parcels and whatnot. And of course, they had to have a whopping five parcels delivered to them. So I get out there at about 4pm or so and I'm already exhausted, halfway done, knowing I'm not going to go home until about 7 It takes a good 45 minutes to get back to the post office and another 10 to unload and finish my day. I know I won't be finishing the route until about 6 or so, so I'm just trying to hurry everything along. Going out to this place too doesn't help in making good time, so I get out there, get out and put some of the boxes in the basket and the others below it and I go to leave. When suddenly, I feel a hard tug on my shirt that pulls me back and I fall on my ass in the dirt. I hit my head on the edge of the trailer and swear to myself before getting up. I thought maybe I just caught my shirt on something, but as I get further away, I feel another tug and fall back again. And this time, I know I didn't catch on anything because I was about two feet away from the fence on my left and there was nothing on my right and nothing directly behind me either. And at this, I scramble up and try to run and pull hard as I feel another tug and I hear that god awful laugh again. Once I broke free from whatever this thing was that was holding me, I didn't look back and I just ran for my vehicle and I left. I still talk to Jim every now and then about this stuff and when I tell him about these incidents, he goes, Oh yeah, that place is haunted, more so than some of the others I think. But in Jim's opinion, the whole route is pretty much damned. There are as I said other places out there where weird stuff happens as well but these are by far the ones that I found the creepiest. After yesterday's little incident at the hills have eyes house I felt like I wanted to share these stories with someone other than my husband as well but either way I'm obviously in a contract now so if this is the best of the last seven months I'm sure that I'll have way more after these 10 years are over. Thanks for listening, if you got this far. I know it's pretty long, but I had to get some of this stuff off my chest because it's just eating away at me.
0: Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
1: I've always been afraid of the dark. More than that, in fact, I've always been afraid of the curtains being open at night. The big black void of the backyard from the kitchen window is just unnerving, so I make it a point to close the curtains before nightfall. That said, the first incident happened about a week and a half ago. Now, our neighbours across the street had had a lot of company lately, so the sound of car doors and people talking and stuff like that had been a common thing the past few weeks. They'd only lived there for about two months, and since they moved in, lots of people were coming and going. However, this usually stopped when it started to get dark, at least on most nights anyway. So when I started hearing sounds akin to doors opening and closing outside, I got a little bit nervous. I started thinking that maybe the neighbors just had a random night visit from someone. Some people do, I guess. I mean, I do sometimes. So I kind of put it out of my mind. I just continued watching videos with my husband after about an hour he fell asleep and I kind of rested my head on his shoulder still watching videos until our dog Penny rose her head up and started growling this dog is a master alarm and I mean anytime she hears something outside that doesn't seem right mostly just at people showing up unexpectedly or people talking outside or stuff like that she'll perk up and growl or bark whenever she does I go on high alert especially at night Our other dog, Clementine, isn't so quick to be aggressive. She's still a pup, only seven months old. She had no reaction to this except to sit up and try and play with Penny while she swerved away from her, ears and tail pointing straight up and alert. I immediately lifted myself up from my husband's shoulder though and I got out of bed. I should note that for the past couple of weeks, we slept in the living room as we're having our bedroom and bathroom renovated on. Our mattress is on the floor between the couches and just behind us is a small hall that leads to the laundry room and one of the two back doors in the house. On this back door is a window with a small white curtain and I hate that door. The curtain on it is very see-through and I try my best to avoid it at night but as it's the most readily available window it was the one that I went to check and see what Penny was barking at. When all I saw was darkness I checked the front windows and saw nothing. After a while, Penny calmed down and took a place at the foot of the bed next to the couch. Clementine, too, took her place sleeping in the front of the windows behind the couch that's in front of our bed. I put it out of my mind, thinking that maybe she was just having a senior moment. She is 12 years old and she's had moments where she's just barked at nothing before. When, I heard the sound of rustling just outside of the back door behind me outside there's a lot of tools a workbench and a couple of old washers that we took out of the shed not long ago to try and get rid of there's also some lawn chairs that make a very distinct sound when pushed across the concrete patio and this is the sound that i heard i know this sound because when the dogs are outside clementine runs into them and even drags them around a lot so much so that i'll sometimes just stack them in the shed to avoid it penny, immediately starts growling again and even barking a couple of times, stirring my husband. I was frozen and didn't want to get up and check, so I shook my husband and told him what I'd heard. Both of us got up and checked the back door window by us, and the large picture window in the kitchen, as well as the window in the back door in there. Eventually, he resorted to grabbing a crowbar from the tool closet inside and peeking at the kitchen back door. There was nothing there. He sighed and told me that it was probably just the wind blowing those chairs around. They weren't exactly heavy, just those cheap white plastic ones some people have and it actually was kind of windy that night too. But I still couldn't just shake the feeling that that wasn't it. Cut to two nights later though, it was a Friday night and my husband had gone out with a work friend. I was alone browsing on my laptop when all of a sudden I heard that rustling again. Only this time, it wasn't just the sound of the lawn chairs in the patio. This time, it sounded like someone was actually in the shed. The laundry room behind connects directly to the shed, which is actually a small carport or garage-type room that we just store all of our excess belongings in. So anytime a sound is made there, if you're in the living room, you can actually hear it quite clearly. This time, not only Penny began growling, but even Clementine, who never growls, began to follow suit. And this made me nervous. I called my husband and told him that I heard something in the shed. And he immediately told me that he'd head home straight away and to keep the doors locked. I ran to each door, making sure that they were all locked. When I passed the kitchen, I caught a glance at the picture window in the kitchen. And I'd forgotten to close the curtains so they were open in the darkness of the backyard. Against the dim glow of the light in the alley behind the fence, I saw something move. I froze because I had no idea what to do. I didn't know how long it would be before my husband got home and I didn't want to go near the window to shut the curtains for fear of whoever was out there seeing me. So I hid behind the corner by the kitchen with Penny and Clementine at my legs as though guarding me, both still growling. I clutched my phone to my chest, trying to remember if the back door by the kitchen was locked or not. I ultimately decided that I could easily crawl through the other opening to the kitchen without being detected as it was out of the way of the window and led straight to the back door. I got on my hands and knees and slowly crept my way to the opening and at least from there I could clearly see the lock and maybe wouldn't have to go all the way to it at all. And this was by far my biggest mistake or possibly my saving grace. The front door window has a clear view of where I was and it just didn't occur to me until I heard the security knob jiggle. I froze and snapped my head to face the front door window. In the light of the porch light, I could clearly see someone peering in at me. If it was my husband, he would have just come in straight away, but instead, whoever it was, just stared. I couldn't see their face as the security kind of blurs the image through the window, but either way, I could tell that it wasn't my husband i didn't think i just dashed down the hall into my bedroom messy though it was with the wood and the paint cans and the rolled up carpet all over the place i knew that i could at least hide in the ensuite bathroom and lock the door while well, also locking the bedroom door behind me of course i immediately called the police who made me stay with them on the line while they sent an officer out my husband got home first practically scaring the crap out of me when he knocked on the bedroom door I came out of the bedroom and unlocked the door and threw my arms around him. And not long after that, the police came. But there was no sign of anyone outside or even in the alleyway. I didn't sleep at all that night and neither did my husband. He just kind of laid there with a crowbar next to him and our dogs were restless too. Heads and ears constantly perked up, peering around like they were listening for any indication of an intruder. Cut again to two nights ago, though, and after the whole thing with the police, I had a hard time sleeping, so I've pretty much ruined my sleep schedule by staying up until my eyes could literally not handle being open anymore. And that night, I was watching a movie, trying to focus on pleasant, happy films to put my mind at ease. When, without warning, Penny began howling and barking viciously with her head stuck between the curtains of the windows behind the couch that's in front of the bed. And my blood ran cold. I stood up to peek outside and the neighbors across the street were all standing in the yard talking quite loud but something just didn't seem right. They all seemed to be looking in my direction and Penny was not letting up. She was barking so viciously I almost didn't recognize her. I mean I've never seen her so worked up. I couldn't get her to stop no matter what I did so I eventually just pulled her from the window but she wouldn't have it. She jumped on the chair and shoved her head between the curtains of the window by the front door and just continued. My husband woke up and instantly went into protective man of the house mode. He grabbed the crowbar from the floor beside him, walked over to the window and looked out to see what she was barking at, telling me to stay behind him. And when all that he saw was the neighbors, he got a little bit irritated by this. He'd been as stressed as I was since the whole police incident and was finally getting some decent rest. But still, despite what it may have appeared to be, I told him maybe that we should call the police again. Seeing Penny that way just left me really uneasy. The whole situation just seemed off. At first, he was reluctant, saying that they wouldn't do anything if nothing had ever happened. But as he said this, he just went paper white, and his eyes burned into the picture window in the kitchen behind me. I turned around and saw three figures climbing over the fence into the alleyway out of our yard. I immediately called the cops again, and my husband tore out the back door while I begged him to stay inside. I mean, I didn't know if those guys had a gun or what, while all we had was the crowbar. The police were there in seconds, it seemed, fast for them to be honest around here. And luckily, they caught up with all three guys who ratted out my across-the-street neighbors apparently according to the officer that we spoke to these people had warrants out for their arrest on multiple offenses one was wanted for possession of drugs with the intent to sell two of the other guys had outstanding warrants for assault while the girl that lived with them was wanted in the next state over for armed robbery which meant that it was truly a den of criminals Apparently they'd been watching us as well as our neighbors to the left and right, figuring out our schedules for when things go quiet or when we're at work, trying to find a good time to break in and just steal any values. Yesterday I spoke with the neighbor on the left. She's a very nice lady and she's lived next to my family for the past 14 years. She told me that she thought that she heard someone breaking into a home a couple of weeks prior and immediately installed a security system. I can't help but think that this must have deterred them from her so they may have moved on to try and rob us. Our other neighbor luckily hasn't had any trouble which kind of makes me nervous though when I think about it. It's been quiet since though and the house across the street was pretty much searched and the rental company emptied it out this morning. It's just eerily dark over there though which gives me the spooks. While I've always had a weird fear of opening windows at night I'm kind of grateful that I forgot to close the curtains that first night. If I hadn't have seen that first guy in the backyard, maybe I wouldn't have tried to crawl to the kitchen door and notice the one at my front door. And if we had closed the curtains on the night that they all got caught, maybe my husband wouldn't have seen them all in the backyard either. Either way, I'm just glad it's all over and no one was hurt in the end. I feel a lot safer now and just maybe I'll finally be able to get some sleep. I'm 31 now, rarely drink or go out anymore but last weekend a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in a couple of years asked me out and we ended up going to a club on the street where this story takes place and the whole thing just reminded me of it. So legal drinking age in Brazil is 18, people here start partying pretty early and let's face it, no one really knows their limits when they start drinking right? My friends and I had gone to this club I honestly can't remember the name right now but I know it closed down a couple of years back and we had a great time and the sun was coming up as we were leaving. Most clubs here give you a credit card when you walk in where you either put in the money you plan on spending or they work as a personal digital tab where bartenders add up what you're drinking and whatnot and you pay for it on the way out. I pay for my stuff and I sit outside to wait for my friends who are taking a long time to get out probably due to just being drunk as hell As I'm sitting there though, I notice a car across the street, two dudes in the front seats. one out of the car trying to make this clearly drunk out of her mind girl get inside as well. She's mumbling and stumbling, struggling to keep her eyes open and she's saying no, I don't want to go, over and over, shaking her head, clinging onto the car door as the guy keeps telling her to let go and get inside, that they're just going to a friend's apartment to drink some more, it'll be fun, come on. I watch on, wondering if I should do something, if no one else is seeing this happening. I look at the club's security guard, he looks at me, and he shrugs, like it's not his responsibility. I look back at the girl, and I'm really uncomfortable, but also scared. My friends are still nowhere to be seen, I'm alone. The security guard is clearly not going to do anything, and there's three of the guys there. And what if they decide to try and get me as well? The girl says one more time that she doesn't want to go with them, and before I realize what I'm doing, I'm getting to my feet and shouting, hey. The guy stops trying to push the girl into the car for a moment and looks at me. I say, she said she didn't want to go, dude. I start making my way across the street, even though my hands are shaking and my voice is probably not the most convincing. They say, she's our friend, she's just drunk and pretty cranky, it's all good and we're just going to take her home. He seems a bit nervous and not exactly angry which makes me feel a bit better or less scared at least. Do you know them? I ask her and she just shakes her head no using the door as support to keep herself on her feet. Creep 1, the one who was trying to push her in the car, looks at me and to his friends who seem frustrated but starts saying come on man let's just go let's leave it. Creep 1 now looking a bit pissed grabs the girl and pushes her towards me getting in the car and they all leave. The girl nearly falls on her face but I grab her and we walk back to the front of the club my heart slowly going back to its normal rate. Only then do I realize that my friends had come out and were watching everything from across the street with confused faces. We all meet random people at clubs at the door walking down the street so they probably thought that I'd met someone I start asking her what had happened, if she's alone, where's all of her stuff and she's just an incoherent mess, mumbling about losing track of her friends, her purse, she doesn't even know how she paid her tab to leave or anything. I ask for some help to the security guard but he says that he can't leave his spot and he can't do anything. I explain what happened to my friends and they talk to the hostess about it who begrudgingly goes and checks the lost and found. Her purse is thankfully there, minus the money that she had in her wallet, and we managed to call her parents as well. I talk to her mum because the girl can't explain anything, and I promise to stay there until the mum comes to get her. 30 minutes later, the mum arrives, and I've never seen someone look so relieved and terrified at the same time. She thanks me, and my friends as well profusely, and offers us a ride home, but as we live the next town over, she just drives us to the subway station. In the middle of all the craziness, I forgot to exchange numbers with any of them, so I've never heard from that girl or her mum again, but I hope she learned to be more careful with just how much she drinks or who she talks to in clubs. Also, shame on her friends for not looking out for her or trying to find her when they realised that she was missing. Though maybe they were all just as drunk as her, who knows. I know what I did was probably reckless. But quite honestly, I wouldn't be able to just watch that car drive away and live with myself anymore. Please be safe when going out, guys. So, I work at a hotel in my town and I was driving my husband's truck into work as he was taking mine to the shop to get serviced. He has a a very large truck and I only drive it when I absolutely have to. When I pull into the side parking lot, I notice the entire lot is covered in snow and no one can see the lines for the spots. So, I begin looking like a moron and try to park in what I hope is a spot, backing up and moving forward several times. When I finally park, I get out of the truck and I grab my backpack when I hear someone yelling from the sidewalk from behind the parking lot, Hey, you need to learn how to fucking park. I'm embarrassed I'll admit but I just close the truck lock it, and begin walking to the front of the building. Now the hotel has a side entrance for employees but it takes a code and I have a shitty memory so I just walk to the front and I go through the main entrance. I hear the guy yelling again. Did you hear me? I walk faster and take a peek behind me and this guy is following me. I keep walking, but call back, please just leave me alone, I need to go to work. Before I can reach the corner of the building and make my way to the entrance, the guy grabs my arm and spins me around. Now, I will never forget what this guy looked like for as long as I live. He wore dark clothes with a torn up winter coat, his eyes were bloodshot as hell, and he smelled like a combination of cigarettes and whiskey. I guessed he must have been drunk, but he didn't slur at all when speaking. He said to me, you're coming with me. The guy began dragging me back to the truck and I tried to pull my arm away from him and I told him to let go of me. He said give me the keys, we're taking a drive. I began to yell for help and his grip on my arm got tighter. I'm a 26 year old woman, not skinny at all, but a lot smaller than this guy that's for sure. He was dragging me easily and the snow on the ground just made my feet slide along the ground quickly. I yelled out, someone help, please, but no one was near us and I kept fighting to get away from this guy. I prayed that there would be guests that could possibly hear me, but it was our slow season, so most likely there was no one in the rooms on that side of the building. The guy turns back to glare at me and tells me to shut the hell up and give me the keys. Now, I was carrying my backpack on one shoulder as it was big and bulky from my uniform and shoes. I quickly slipped the strap down my arm, grabbed it, and I swung it right into his face. The guy let go of me, and I just ran for my life to the front doors. I heard the guy screaming, but I ignored him. I was way too scared to look back at him, and eventually I ran inside and all the way to the employee locker rooms. When I finally calmed down enough, I... Went to the front desk to talk to the security. Sadly there were no cameras on that side of the building so nothing was recorded. They called the cops and I made a report. The cops informed the general manager of the hotel that they needed to seriously consider security cameras on that side of the building as drunks and druggies were known to be in that area. There was a bar just a couple of streets down apparently and it was common. They got the description of the guy and said that they'd keep an eye out for it. The manager apologized like crazy about the incident, but I told him that it wasn't his fault. He's a really good guy, and I did ask the security guard to follow me out so I could check on the truck and whatnot. Thankfully, it was fine. The security guard promised to make more rounds outside, especially that early in the morning. I told my husband what happened, and he drove me to work the next day, and was happy to see that the security guard was keeping their word that they would make rounds outside that time in the morning. They still currently are which is great. I'm driving myself to work again but I don't get out of my truck until I see that security guard and he watches to make sure that I get inside okay. I think he's also hoping to catch the guy if he comes back. The guy that covers him on his days off as well does the same thing. I'm also getting pepper spray and maybe a knife after work today. Sadly I haven't heard from the police yet and maybe I won't. Hopefully the guy was scared off from coming back to the area, or maybe he tried to go back and the security guards scared him off, but either way, I really hope that I never see this guy again, or if I do, at least he might be in handcuffs. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Bee Scared podcast, and please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too.